Coming up, if I lost my job today, I'm going to tell you what I do so that you can do it if it happens to you. And then Gen Z and adulting milestones that are so hard. We'll cover that and more. Let's go. Helping you win at work so that you can be who you want to be, do what you want to do, live the life that you want to live, make plenty of money while you do it. This is the Ken Coleman Show. So the team and I were talking, and we were talking through just the the uncertain nature of work in general. You never know when a pandemic is going to come along. You never know when layoffs or downsizing or maybe just something goes wrong and the boss just lets you go. And the reality is, is you need to have a plan. I've talked about this before, but today I'm going to walk you through what I would do if I lost my job today. I've got a five-day plan that is essentially ready to go. And so I thought through this and 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 this is what I would do in the first five days after being laid off. All right, so let's first look at the emotions around being let go. This is heavy stuff. The research suggests that losing your job has the same emotional weight impact as losing a loved one. And think about it. It really is a jarring one-two punch. It's personal because you've been rejected. You, you feel like you're not enough. I mean, let's just let that cascade of feelings wash over us for a second. And then it's certainly a financial one because at this moment, you're income has been interrupted. So it really didn't matter why you got let go. So whether it was a uh, an economy-based layoff or it was a bad decision by an executive, which led to a larger number of people getting laid off, or if you're fired for incompetency or fired because your boss is a jerk, it doesn't matter. You're going to go through the stages of grief as if you lost a loved one. So here are the five days after being laid off, uh, this is this is what I think you should do. This is what I would do, and this is a plan that I think will really help you navigate the loss because it's not just a job loss. It is a emotional loss. All right, day one. You ready? Day one, be hurt. Hurt. Just let it all hang out. Cry. Punch a hole in the wall. Please don't punch anybody or any animal, please. Uh, enjoy your favorite beverage to dull the pain. Hey, hurt. Now, for me, I'm a verbal processor. So specifically, I would go home and I would talk with my wife, Stacy. She is the person in my life that I can be completely weak and and you need that. You need to be able to just vent, cry, whatever. And just with someone who can just be there and nothing is going to change in how she views me and loves me. So I'd talk it through with her. And I would want to just feel some love. Hello, you just got rejected, you just got hurt. Go home, hurt, feel some love. That's what I do with Stacey. Next, 
after we got that, I'd say, let's go do something fun. So whether that's with the kids, she and I, or with some of our friends, I know it seems a little crazy. Like maybe that's a bit much. Some of you want to jump in uh, your pajamas, curl up, watch a movie, maybe just go to sleep. That's fine. I'm telling you what I would do. I would hurt, and then I would have some fun on day one. Something that just makes me happy in the moment, even though I'm deeply sad. I can be happy and sad at the same time. I can be sad on the macro, happy in the micro. And that's the idea. Do something that I love or that makes me laugh. Why? Just to begin the process of filling my soul, my heart back up. Day two. Day two. I'm going to create a new rhythm. So if I've got a normal rhythm in my workday, normal rhythm, then on day two after being laid off or fired, I'm going to create a new rhythm. may just be for that day, but it's going to be a different rhythm. And I think this will help me change my perspective. Maybe it's a new exercise routine. Maybe it's a new morning routine. Maybe the routine is longer. Uh, Maybe I'd start out with getting back into the pain and doing some journaling. After I've slept on it, let's have another layer of perspective of a night's sleep. Uh, The point is, is I would act like it's a day off, not my first day unemployed. That's what I would do. You know, because again, this is a healing process. And so day two, I'm going to do something different, change my rhythm. And I'm going to act like it's just a day off. And here's why I think that's important. It's important for you to then realize that while the day before may have been the worst day of your life, the world's still spinning around. You're still here. You're okay. All right, day three. Day three, I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I, the changing of the rhythm day is, I, I'm tearing it like it's a day off, but I'm also gonna make sure that now everybody beyond Stacy and maybe my kids. The acquaintance in close circle, that's where on day two, just let them know, hey, yesterday sucked. Here's what happened. This is your close personal connections, all right? And, and what that's going to do is, is now I got the love from Stacy, the acceptance from Stacy on day one, day two. I'm letting in my circle, my knit folks, my close-knit folks. I'm bringing them in, and then they're going to give me the additional encouragement, okay? Now, day three, this is where I want to now – Go help or serve somebody. And specifically, I want to help or serve somebody who's who's maybe in a worse situation than me. Now, it does not have to be this. This is me, right? Here's my thinking on this. I've just had my world rocked. And I'm grieving. I'm angry. Remember, I'm going to go through the stages of grief. And at this point, you know, early in, day three, I want to quickly reset my entire perspective and go, as sucky of a couple of days as I've had, I don't have it as bad as these folks. So I want to go serve somebody who's got a tough situation physically or financially. I want to go serve and love on them. For the purposes of, number one, realizing that I don't have it that bad. And number two, not focusing on me anymore. I want to focus on somebody else. And what happens is there's a salve to the heart that service provides. When you serve other people, 
it heals wounds. It heals your wounds because when you serve those who have way less than you, serve those who have it far more difficult than you, it begins to salve your soul. Day four. Now, I've told all my close people, but day four is now where I'm going to get out of the cave. I'm going to tell all my acquaintances, soft ties, if you will, I'm going beyond my close-knit group, my people, and now it's, hey, social media, letting people know, um, calling contacts. I'm, I'm going through my Rolodex, and I'm letting everybody know, hey, I am on the street looking to hustle, looking to rebound. Day five. Day five, I'm now completely focused on the future. Up to this point, it's been a lot of now. Now I want to think about the next. And I'm brainstorming what the future could look like. I've told a lot of people, maybe some emails and opportunities or at least some potential promises are coming through. This is now going from now thinking to next thinking. I'm shifting my mindset into possibilities. What could be? And, and, and how do I leverage this opportunity? I've been kicked out of the nest. I didn't want it, but I've been kicked out. And now I'm looking for opportunities. I'm looking for opportunities. So why do I give you a five-day plan? What's the point of this? Because as I mentioned at the beginning of this, we know from psychology research that the emotional hit of losing your job is the same as losing a loved one. That is not something that is easily healed. It does not happen quickly. And I think the first five days is very important to you being able to have your head up, shoulders back, and moving through the storm. So I think that five-day plan, you can edit that, do whatever you want with that, but you need to have a plan, and it needs to be ready because you never know when life is going to change on you really quick. Hey, I want you to stop right now and just listen to this. I want you to imagine life four months from now, but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. If the show is helping you, will you help us? You can do that by liking the videos on YouTube, subscribing and sharing. And then if you're listening via the podcast app of your choice, you can give us a follow, a five-star review, please. And share, share, share. That helps us grow. Okay, uh, this is an interesting headline here from Business Insider um, about our younger friends. I say our I don't know who I'm talking. I don't know who I'm. I, you know, everybody around me's young. I see you in there. Adulting milestones are harder 
for young adults than their parents. This is the headline. This is from a CNBC and Generation Lab study. Younger generations think achieving major milestones, such as getting promoted at work or buying a house, is much harder than it was for their parents. I wonder why that is. I also wonder, does every generation think the same thing? I got to believe that we do. In, in other words, this is this data is focused on millennials and Gen Z. I would suggest that my generation, Gen X, and the boomer generation probably thought the same thing. It's just perspective. But we're going to break this down. And then why this matters. Uh, adults 18 to 34 were surveyed. And they were asked about different aspects of growing older and whether or not they thought it was easier for their parents' generation. Let's look at professional career journey. 44% said it's harder to find a job. Okay. That one... I think I've got an insight on this one. I do think that my generation and the boomer generation, so we're talking about millennials, Gen Z are saying, or 44% are saying it's harder to find a job than previous generations. I think that is true in that what they mean by find a job is select something. Okay, this is what I... And I'll tell you why that is. I think because we have more information in every area of our lives than we've ever had at any point in history. I mean, it's almost mind-boggling about how much information a kid can get by doing this right here on TikTok, you know? I don't know if they do this or I don't know what they're doing. You get the point, all right? If you think about the amount of jobs that are out there that are available, we talk about the sheer numbers, we're talking millions. And you also think about some of these remote jobs that tend to get the highest volume of applicants. Folks, we're talking about millions of people apply for one job. There's Monster. There's ZipRecruiter. There's Indeed. I can go on and on and on. And I think what these young people are thinking when they say it's harder to find a job because by the pure usage of the word find, it'd be like, well, it's not hard to find at all. They're everywhere. But I think what they mean is, is like, I found my, this is what I want. And I just think it's more intimidating now because there's just so much out there. So let's, let's just rewind. So let's take the youngest people in this grouping, 18, 19, 20. So if we go back, Alex, you're going to have fun with this. If we go back to when I was 18, 19, and 20, I'm going to take you back to 1992. 1993 and 1994. All right, now let me tell you what's going on in the world in 1992, 93, and 94. Let's just take that that range, okay? Number one, I was in school, in college. Number two, didn't have a cell phone. Number three, did not have a laptop, and nobody did on my dorm. Now, Alex, that's freaking you out. But I went to college without never, never having a cell phone. By the way, nobody did. It wasn't that the Coleman's weren't very nice to me. It was we didn't have cell phones in 1992, 93, 94, 95, 96. We just we didn't have it. Nobody did. Only a few had some desktop computers in their rooms. There were there weren't a laptop. And are you ready for this? The internet was not there. 
All right, so now, okay, just to set this here, so imagine a young Ken Coleman at the at the front edge of this poll. If I had everything these young people have, it would be so much overwhelming. But finding a job back then, honestly, to me, did not seem incredibly intimidating because the way we went about it back then was very simplistic. Thus, I think the simpler something is, the less intimidating it is. Is that fair? Does that square with you viewers out there? You can comment on this, some of you older people. In the comments section, go, go, go. So I would say for my young friends, I get it. Now there's information overload. It's like, I don't even know what. And I think it's like this. It's just they're paralyzed by options. All right, next. This is very interesting. 55% said it's more difficult to get promoted. I don't have much insight onto that. I don't know why they think it's harder to get promoted. Other than, this is my this is my stab, they've been in the workforce for a few months, maybe six months, maybe a year, and they haven't been promoted, but their whole life, that's all they've ever been is promoted. These kids have grown up with parents who have coddled and rewarded for basically nothing. They're showing up. And so now they go, grief, I've come to work for six months. How come Alex hasn't promoted me? That's my only take on that one. Moving on. 55% think it's much harder to purchase a property. Uh, this is this is about the sheer issue of inflation where housing prices are high and these kids aren't thinking, well, what house did my parents... Stacy and I, our first house cost $198,000 and I thought I'd mortgage my future. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe we just bought a $198,000 house. Ah! You know what I mean? And now these young people are going, oh, man, I got I to start off with a $300,000 house. No, you don't. I didn't. So I, I think their appetites are bigger than their belly. Might I say that? I think that's what's going on. Now, there were some positive shifts, if you will, or some hopeful answers. 40% of Gen Z. And millennials say they think it's easier for them to find economic opportunities outside of traditional employment. They're right. The gig economy. They're right. They're they're watching their friends make really good money on YouTube. By the way, I was on, Alex, I was on the show with Dave, uh, Dave Ramsey on the, I was co-hosting the Ramsey show. Guy calls in, young guy. And, uh, was asking some questions, and Dave says, uh, well, how much money do you make? Uh, and the guy goes, 300 a month. And Dave goes, $300 a month? And the guy goes, no, 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 $300,000 a month. This is a young kid. And we were like, what do you do? He's in digital marketing. It's crazy. People can make insane amounts of money in the digital space. I don't know if the guy was pulling our leg or not. It didn't seem like it. But there you go. Uh, Surprisingly, 43% of younger workers said they felt loyal to their employers. Again, surprising data here. I don't want to take anything away from my young friends. So proud of of this piece of data here. Um, they're thankful. They're thankful for the shot. They're thankful for a place to land. And I think you're seeing some gratitude here. I think that's why the loyalty's there. Um, we know from other data that I share on this show that Gen Z, uh, 
wants to be in the office. They want to be mentored. They want to be led. They have been led. They've been coddled. They have been hovered around, and thus they like the idea of a leader having eyes on them, showing them how to do it. And don't forget this. They're not different from anybody else in this regard. They just need and crave the attaboys and the girls. Now, I don't make fun of that. That's not something to, to make fun of. That is something to acknowledge, and everybody ought to feel that way. And and so this is interesting that they're very, very loyal to their employers. So uh, here, here's why I share this. If you are in that younger generation, hey, listen, you can do this. I did it, and if I can do it, you can do it. Trust me, my mom and dad didn't give me this unbelievable manual for life. They taught me character. They taught me responsibility, and I had to figure it out just like you. And my first house wasn't $300,000. It was a nice little house. But I've upgraded many, many times, and so will you. You'll get there. Be patient, and we're going to be walking alongside of you on the way. But adulting isn't as scary as it seems. I'm not sure I'm actually an adult. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one way to win at work is to do work that you care deeply about. Like you actually give a crap about it. It's meaningful. But what do you do? How do you do that? Well, you got to dig. You got to figure out what is that? What is in my heart? So I ask people all the time, who are the people you really want to help? So you got to spend time on that. So how would you spend maybe an extra hour a day? Is it about reading a book, listening to a podcast like this or something else? Is it a new skill? Is it coffee with a mentor? Is it yoga? Maybe, maybe not. But can I make a suggestion? If this is about the heart and doing meaningful work, I think therapy can help you find what really matters to you. Your life, your life experience, environment you grew up in, pains, victories, that shapes your heart. And if you're thinking about therapy as, well, I just got to have something really bad going on in my life, I think you're missing it. I want you to try better help. Just try it. Therapy isn't just for people who are going through trauma. It's really great for awareness, self-awareness, to be able to build skills, to take that awareness and transfer it into work that really matters to you. And boy, will that change your life and your income. BetterHelp's awesome because they're flexible enough to fit your busy schedule and it's all online. You fill out a short questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch at any time for no cost. Listen, folks, I do regular therapy. I can't endorse it enough. It's about awareness and awareness is a superpower. So make time for what makes you happy. Use your time with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Here to help you get unstuck, help you move up the ladder because you matter and you do have what it takes and I'm here to help. Okay, very interesting stuff here. Um, here's the question for you. you. You, the audience. And you can comment in the comment section. Uh, certainly for those of you on YouTube. When you were younger, who did you look up to as a model of success? Some of you uh, are young enough, you still kind of look up to people. Uh, who do you look up to? Who did you look up to? 
Um, Alex, I'll put you on the spot, and then I'll share one of mine. Uh, was there a was there a person or persons that you looked up to when maybe you were, um, call it early twenties, late teens, early twenties? You looked up to as these people are successful financially. I'm thinking, I, I, you know what? They're financially, they're they're rock stars. So financial and professional success. Who comes to mind? Steven Spielberg. Oh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, for me, I I was, you know, I I look at certain athletes. You know, you know, I go. I remember Pat Riley. I was like, this is the coach of the Lakers, man. He's wearing Armani suits, the hair slicked back. You know, he looks like he walked off the set of Wall Street. And, and, and you know, guys like that. And then, you know, uh, business icons, you know, Steve Forbes, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, some of those types of people, right? So here's, here's the list. This is interesting. Of what college students, current college students, um, say are the people that they – look up to as financial successes. It's pretty interesting. Uh, this was done, by the way, uh, a study uh, done by uh, Morning Brew and Gin Lab. All right? And so they they talked to 1,000 college students across the U.S. And each student was asked to name three people who embodied financial success. Have you seen this article already? All right. I was going to ask you to guess. And here's why. When I saw this this morning, um, I was surprised by the top name. Very surprised. And I have a theory as to why I am surprised and why this person is at the top of the list. So here we go. A thousand college students asked the question, name three, your top three, uh, financial successes, people that you look up to as financial successes. Interestingly enough, Bill Gates, number one. 50% 50% of the college students said Bill Gates. Now, the reason that surprised me is number two is Jeff Bezos and number three is Elon Musk. And at first pass, I thought to myself, well, Bezos owns Amazon. He's doing the space thing. He bought the Washington Post. He and his wife had the most expensive divorce ever. You know, I thought, okay. I mean, like his wife was a billionaire after the divorce. And I thought, okay, you know, everybody's paying attention to the news. Elon Musk, I totally get. I mean, Elon Musk went from superhero, odd superhero as the Tesla founder to evil Darth Vader who took over Twitter, now known as X, and he's too conservative and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, Bill Gates has only been in the news over the last several years because of all of a sudden he was looked at as a vaccine expert and epidemiologist or whatever they call it. And he's been largely, you know, criticized by people that are anti-vax. And, but I was surprised. So clearly, because I mean, do any of these young people even use Microsoft products? Do you have a take on that? I mean, how many... How many uh, young millennials use Microsoft? Is it is it more than I realize? I'm thinking they're all Apple. Yeah, probably gamers. Oh, so is PCs. the is the dominant 
Oh, so PCs are dominant in gaming, and then I'm guessing that uh, Xbox is considered to be a much better product than PlayStation. I'm getting. Oh, I'm you're getting, about to start a big debate now. <laughs> I'm getting insight from Young Andrew and uh, and and Alex, the producer. Uh, I am a PlayStation guy. Make no mistake about it. But I'll tell you why I'm a PlayStation guy, Alex. It is simply because I think the remote is easier. It's very straightforward. I only got four options. They're laid out in a very nice way. Xbox that and I. By the way, I have two boys. One prefers Ty prefers PlayStation. Chase prefers Xbox. It's interesting. All right. So anyway, Bill Gates. All right. Let's keep moving. Number four, Taylor Swift. Well, I mean, how has Taylor Swift not taken over the the, the whole world at this point? Uh, number five, and this is a throwback for me. Throwback for me is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's been rich for a very, very long time and been around forever. Mark Zuckerberg, six, founder of Facebook. Oprah Winfrey, seven. Beyonce, eight. LeBron James, nine. Ryan Reynolds cracks the top ten. This guy has turned himself into quite the entrepreneur. Uh, Obviously, he's an A-list actor, but he has made some unbelievable purchases namely the soccer club uh, over in Wales. And that whole story has been really, really phenomenal. Bought a cell phone company. Uh, I mean, Ryan Reynolds has turned himself into, I mean, then he's got his gin. But can I just tell you, uh, Alex, I was watching uh, football Saturday, and Ryan Reynolds pops on the screen, and it wasn't your normal celebrity commercial. It was like just kind of a plain screen, and he's like, look, uh, every other cell phone company in the world is going to tell you this, this, and this, and they're going to charge you this. He goes, not us. He just took a shot at all of them. And he's got a cell phone company. Guy's killing it. Makes the top 10. Now, uh, the old guys are Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Everybody else, Trump's 12. Uh, everybody else is young, uh, except Michael Bloomberg. He's old. Martha Stewart's old. George Soros, I can't even believe these these young people even know who George Soros is. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, these are the people that young people are looking up to as it relates to financial wealth. Now, here's the flip side of this, okay? It is a very natural progression to think of the richest people because all that list is, is a compilation of the richest, most powerful, and most notable, meaning well-known. That's all that list is. Okay, And, and of course, you get asked that question on the street, you know, who do you look up to, blah, 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 blah. But, but here's, here's the takeaway. The takeaway ought not to be the most famous, the absolute richest, the most powerful. We ought to be looking up to people that we can actually connect to that we could see a path to the life they live. And some of you'd say, Ken, I think that's uh, aiming too low. I don't think it is. You could spend your whole life trying to be Oprah, and I think you're going to be really disappointed. You could spend your whole life trying to pick stocks like Warren Buffett, and you're going to be broke and homeless, living under a bridge. What about the doctor in your community? 
What about the, the business person that's been around a long time, very successful, and gives a lot of money away in your community? What about the lawyer who fights and advocates for the little guy or worthy causes? What about the the person who runs a nonprofit and they give away half their their income to the organization to make the world a better place? What about a pastor? What about a nurse? What about a fill-in-the-blank? The idea here is it's okay to admire people that are famous and that are wealthy and that are powerful, but as I get older, my aim is not to be like Dave Ramsey. My aim is not to be like Larry King, David Letterman. Pick a broadcasting icon. It's not my aim. The people I want to be like are people that I know now or people that I knew that have gone on to to eternity that just lived life well. They lived life well. And that's who I want to be like. That's who I want to be like. It's not about money. It's about meaning. You ought to be shooting for that. I think you're going to like where you land. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.